Chapter Six of Courage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Courage by Ruth Ogden. Chapter Six Aboard the Lighter. It took such a very little while for Courage to feel perfectly contented and at home on the boat that she was more than half inclined to take herself to task for a state of things which would seem to imply disloyalty to Mary Duff. As for Sylvia, she felt at home from the very first minute, and was constantly brimming over with delight. Nor was Larry far below the general level of happiness, for work seemed almost play with courage at his side. As for Larry's boy, Dick, of a naturally mournful turn of mind, he too seemed carried along, quite in spite of himself, on the tide of prevailing high spirits. On more than one occasion he was known to laugh outright at some of Sylvia's remarkable performances, though always, it must be confessed, in deprecatory fashion, as though conscious of a perceptible loss of dignity. And who would not have been happy in that free, independent life they were leading? To be sure, there were discomforts. Sometimes when the lighter was tied to a steaming wharf all day, the sun would beat mercilessly down upon them, but then they could always look forward to the cool evening out upon the water, and so happily it seemed to be in everything a hundred delights to offset each discomfort. Even for Larry and Dick, when work was hardest and weather warmest, there was a sure prospect of the yellow pitcher of iced tea which courage never failed to bring midway in the long morning, and then at the end of the day the leisurely comfortable dinner, for they were quite aristocratic in their tastes, this little boat's company. No noon dinner for them, with Larry in workaday clothes, and the stove in the tiny kitchen piping its hottest at precisely the hour when its services could best be dispensed with, but a leisurely seven o'clock dinner, with a lighter anchored off the shore and when, as a rule, Dick also had had time to tidy up and could share the meal with them. And in this, you see, they were not aristocratic at all. Even little black Sylvia had a seat at one side of the table, which she occupied as continuously as her culinary duties would admit. One night, when Larry stood talking to a friend on the wharf, Sylvia and Courage overheard him say, They're a darned competent little fair, I can tell you. Now, of course, this was rather questionable English for a respectable old man like Larry, but he intended it for the highest sort of praise, and the children could hardly help being pleased. Larry oughtn't to use such words, said Courage. But then I specs he only mean that we just knows how to do things, said Sylvia apologetically, and as that was exactly what Larry did mean, we must forgive him the over-expressive word. Besides, they were, in point of fact, the most competent pair imaginable. Early every morning, when near the city, Dick would bring the lighter alongside a wharf, and Courage and Sylvia would set off for the nearest market, Sylvia carrying a basket and always wearing a square of bright plaid gingham knotted round her head. There was no remembrance for her of father or of mother, or of much that would have proved dear to her warm little heart, but tucked away in a corner of her memory were faint recollections of a southern fish market, with the red snapper sparkling in the morning sunlight, and the old mammies in bandana turbans 
busy about their master's marketing and as though to make the best of this shadowy recollection sylvia insisted upon the turban accompaniment to the basket then after the marketing came the early breakfast and after that for courage the many nameless duties of every housekeeper whether big or little and for sylvia the homelier tasks of daily recurrence but fortunately she did not deem them homely why should she when pretty miss sylvester as perfect a lady as could be herself had taught her how to do them every one nor was this work so dignified by manner and method of teaching performed in silence every household task had its appropriate little song and the occasions were rare on which sylvia did not make use of them washin' dishes washin' dishes suds are hot suds are hot work away briskly work away briskly do not stop do not stop was the refrain that would greet the ear first thing after breakfast followed by first the glasses rinse them well rinse them well if you do them nicely all can tell all can tell and so on ad infinitum then after everything had been gotten into shipshape condition came the mending of which there seemed to be an unending supply larry and dick were certainly very hard on their clothes and when once a week dick brought all the heaping basketful aboard from the washerwoman who lived at the battery courage and sylvia knew that needles and thimbles would need to be brought into active requisition then in odd hours there was studying and reading and whenever they could manage it a little visit to be paid upon mary duff in addition to all this courage had taken upon herself one other duty for big fifteen-year-old dick did not so much as know his letters he one day blushingly confessed the fact to courage who indeed had long suspected it with tears in his honest blue eyes dick's mother for that is what she was though most unworthy of the name had shoved him out of the place he called home when he was just a mere slip of a lad and since then it had been all he could manage simply to make a living for himself with never a moment for schooling but a happier day had dawned no sooner was courage assured of his benighted condition than she won his everlasting gratitude by setting about to mend it their first need of course was a primer and they immediately found one ready to the hand or rather to the eye for it could not be treated after the fashion of ordinary primers there were only seven letters in it five capitals and two small ones and the large letters were fully ten feet high it did not even commence with an a but c came first and then r and then another r followed by a little o and a little f and after that a large n and a large j indeed c r r of n j was all that there was to it for the letters were painted on a depot roof that happened to be in full sight on the evening when dick commenced his lessons and so dick finally mastered the entire alphabet by the aid of the great signs in the harbor and do you think they ever rendered half such worthy service this then was the story of the uneventful days as they dawned one after the other until at last may yielding place to june and june to july saturday the first day of august came in by the calendar ran through its midsummer hours and then sank to rest in the cradle of a wonderful sunset it was such a sunset as sometimes glorifies the bay and the river and will not be overlooked 
long rays of gold and crimson shot athwart even the narrowest and darkest cross streets of the city compelling every one who had eyes to see and feet to walk upon to come out and enjoy its beauty while a blaze of light falling full upon the myriad windows of brooklyn heights suggested the marvellous golden city of the revelation full in the wake of all this glory and just to the southeast of bedloe's island larry had moored the lighter it was a favorite anchorage with all the little boat's company the statue of liberty standing out so grandly against the western sky and with the light of her torch shining down all night upon them seemed always a veritable friend and protector to-morrow perhaps they would touch at staten island and locking the cabin all hands repair to a little church they loved well at new brighton or should it prove a very warm day they might have a little service of their own on board instead sailing quite past the church and as far down the bay as the bell buoy but for the present there was nothing to be done but watch the sun set so they sat together in the lee of the cabin silently thinking their own thoughts as the sun went down courage had on the blue coat and hat and from the wistful look in her eyes might easily have been thinking of miss julia larry sat looking at courage more perhaps than at the sunset and his face was grave and sad courage had noticed that it had often been so of late and wondered what could be the trouble after a while larry slowly strolled off by himself to the bow of the boat and courage gazed anxiously after him then turning to dick she said with a sigh we had better have a lesson now dick ay ay answered dick always glad of the chance it's too dark for a book courage added but there's a good sign whereupon dick set himself to master two large lettered words over on the jersey shore one of which looked rather formidable begin with the last word dick you've had it before d o c k doc of course now the first word try to make it out yourself dick shrugged his shoulders for it was rather a jump to a word of three syllables but success at last crowned his efforts national docks he exclaimed with a delight of unaided discovery feeling as though the attainment had added a good square inch to his height then came another sign with the one word storage but that was easy for prentice stores had been achieved the day before off the brooklyn warehouses and it was only a step from one word to the other finally when there were no new signs to conquer courage began a sort of review from memory of all they had been over in the midst of it sylvia suddenly ran to the side of the boat arched one black hand over her eyes that she might see the more clearly and then flew back again dat hard statue boy's comin she cried excitedly i thought it looked like him and if once he gets a foot on this boat he keep comin he will i knowed him i don't see that you can help it though laughed courage you can't tell him that we just don't want to have anything to do with him sylvia looked perplexed but only for a moment then indulging in one of those remarkable pirouettes with which she was accustomed to announce the advent of a happy thought she ran back again to the boat's edge meanwhile every dip of the oars was bringing the objectionable boy nearer and a horrid boy he was if one may be permitted to speak quite honestly dick and sylvia had made his undesirable acquaintance one evening when larry had sent them to the island to learn the right time 
he was the son of one of the men employed to care for the statue and was alas every whit as disagreeable in manners as in looks which is not to put the case mildly hello miss woolly head he called bringing his boat to the lighter's side and tossing a rope aboard which miss woolly head was supposed to catch but didn't so that the boat veered off again what's the name of your little missus called the boy apparently not in the least nonplussed by his rather chilling reception the knowledge that sylvia had a little missus had been obtained by means of several leading questions which had characterized the young gentleman's first interview with sylvia and dick and which they had regarded as the very epitome of rudeness this year lighter is called for my missus said sylvia so you can just read her name there on the dough plate pointing to the lettering at the bow of the boat and then again maybe you can't she chuckled it looked as though the statue boy couldn't for he did not so much as glance toward the bow as he added well it's your missus i want to see and not you you little black pickaninny that's all right sir and sylvia folded her arms aggressively but you can't see her ain't she in yes she's in but she begs to be excused this last in the most impressive manner possible dick and courage who were sitting just out of sight looked at each other and almost laughed outright what remarkable phrases sylvia seemed always to have at her tongue's end indeed dick did not know at all what was meant by the fine phrase but fortunately the statue boy did that is after a moment or two of reflection so she don't want to see me he said sullenly adjusting his oars with considerable more noise than was necessary well no more than do i want to see her i ain't no mind to stay where i ain't wanted but i reckon it's the last time you'll be allowed to anchor your old scow over the line without there being a row about it and with this particular rejoinder there would be caller beat a welcome retreat oh sylvia how did you happen to think to say that laughed courage why that's what you must allers say when anybody calls they teached it in a game in the kitchen garden we all stood up in a ring and a girl came and knocked on your back and axed is miss brown to home then you turn round and say miss brown are to home but she begs to be excused and then it was your turn to be to caller and knock on some other girl's back but sylvia if mrs brown wanted to see the caller what would you say i don't presactually recommember i mostly lacks discouged one de best meanwhile dick made his way to larry did you know we were anchored inside the line he said larry stood up to take his bearings why so we are with evident annoyance for larry prided himself on his observance of harbour rules and i guess we've done it before added dick the boy from the island there said it would be the last time we'd be allowed to do it and it ought to be for larry was thoroughly out of patience with himself we'll show him we meant to obey orders anyway let go her anchor dick and then in a moment the big sail that had been furled for the night was spread to the wind once more and the courage masterson was running out upon the bay that she might swing in again and anchor at the proper distance from the island what's up i wonder said sylvia starting to her feet when she felt the lighter in motion oh i know dick's told larry we were anchored too near and she settled down again in the most comfortable position imaginable on the rug beside courage tell me sylvia what is your other name courage asked after a little pause i've been meaning to ask you this ever so long i think it was on the medal 
but i do not remember it sylvester said sylvia complacently smoothing out her gingham apron sylvie sylvester those two names hitch together pretty tolerable don't they miss courage yes they go beautifully together that's why your name's sylvia of course sylvia shook her head no that's why i's named sylvester courage looked puzzled as named artemis sylvester one of the kitchen garden ladies but sylvia children can only have their first names given to them they're born to their last names this child what miss courage leastways nobody did know at the asylum what name i was born to cept jess sylvie so i picked mine out myself one day i went to miss sylvester and says kind of mischievous how do you like your namesake ain't got none sylvie says she yes you have i done told her it's ten year old and it's black but i hope you don't mind cause it's me and she didn't mind a bit just as i knowed she wouldn't and she says some beautiful things bout as i must allers be an honor to the name and arter that she give me two books with sylvie sylvester wrote into em from her everlastin friend and well-wisher mary sylvester you done see those two books on my table miss courage one's called but the sentence was not finished something happened just then that made both children spring to their feet and hold their breath for fear of what was coming a few minutes before they had noticed that one of the large sandy hook boats seemed to be bearing down upon them and that to all appearances they were directly in her track but their faith in larry was supreme he would surely manage to get out of the way in time but alas they were mistaken for the great boat came looming up like a mountain beside them and in another second there was a deafening heart-sickening crash and splintering of timbers sylvia gave one piercing terrified scream while she and courage clung as for their lives to the copping of the cabin roof and indeed it was a terrible moment the force of the collision sent the lighter careening so much to one side that it seemed for an instant hopeless that she could possibly right herself and oh how frightful to go down down into that cruel dark water but then in another instant she swung violently to the other side and they knew that the danger of capsizing was over, though the boat was still rocking like a cradle. Then they saw the captain of the St. John's come hurrying to the deck-rail, and heard him angrily call out, "'Man alive there! Are you drunk?' "'No, I am not drunk,' Larry answered, from where he stood, pale and trembling, leaning heavily against the tiller. "'Not drunk? Then you're too green a hand to be minding a helm in salt water.' only for our reversed engines you'd not have a shingle under you larry made no reply courage still holding sylvia by the hand looked daggers at the man to think of anyone daring to speak like that to good old larry of course he was not the one to blame and but that the two boats were fast drifting apart she would then and there have told the st john's captain what she thought of him just at this moment courage noticed a lady and gentleman on the rear deck of the steamer she saw the lady give a start of surprise and speak hurriedly to the gentleman who immediately called out in as loud a voice as he could command what is your name little girl tell me quickly he meant courage and courage knew that he did but sylvia not so understanding it a confusion of sounds smote the air of which a shrill little sill was all that could by any chance be distinguished then in a second they were all hopelessly out of hearing of each other and the big boat steamed on to her pier none the worse for the encounter save for a great ugly scar on her white painted bow 
but alas for Larry's lighter. Although she was still sound as a nut below the water's edge, above it she looked as though a cyclone had struck her. And so it was a subdued, though a thankful little company, that stowed themselves away in their berths an hour or so later, after the boat had again been brought to anchor, and they had had time to talk everything over. But there was one pillow that lay unpressed that night. With his mind full of anxiety, bed was out of the question for Larry, and for hours he slowly paced the deck. At least it seemed hours to courage as she lay awake in her little state room, counting his steps as he went up and down, until she knew precisely at just what number he would turn. She had first tried very hard to go to sleep. She had listened to the water quietly lapping the boat's side, imagining it a lullaby, but the lullaby proved ineffectual. At last she pulled back the curtain from the little window over her berth, so that the light from the statue might stream in upon her, entertaining a childish notion that she might perhaps sort of blink herself to sleep, but all in vain. Finally she heard Larry come into the cabin, and apparently stopped there. Why didn't he go into his stateroom? she wondered. When she could stand it no longer, she put on her wrapper and slippers, and stole out into the cabin. The little room, lighted by Liberty's torch, was bright as her own, and Larry sat at the table, his head bowed upon his folded arms. Courage went close to him, and putting out one little hand, began softly to stroke his gray hair. Larry did not start as she touched him, so she knew he must have heard her coming. "'Do you feel so very sorry about the lighter, Larry?' she asked anxiously. "'Will it take such a great lot of money to mend it?' Larry did not raise his head, but it seemed to Courage that a sob, as real as any child's, shook his strong frame. "'Please, Larry, speak to me,' Courage pleaded, and feeling her two hands against his face, Larry suffered her to lift it up. Yes, there were tears in his eyes. Courage saw them and looked right away. Even to the child there was something sacred in a strong man's tears.' but she slipped on to his knee, nestled her head on his shoulder, and then said, in the tenderest little voice, "'It isn't just the accident, is it, Larry? Something's been troubling you this long while. Please tell me what it is. Don't forget about my name being Courage, and that perhaps I can help you.' The words fell very sweetly upon Larry's ear, and he drew her closer to him. But she could feel him slowly move his head from side to side, as though it were hopeless to look for help from any quarter. Suddenly a dreadful possibility flashed itself across her mind, and sitting upright she said excitedly, "'You're not going to die, Larry. Say it isn't that. Quick, Larry!' "'No, darling, it isn't that,' Larry hastened to answer, deeply touched by the agony in her voice. "'But it's almost worse than dying. I'm going—' And then the word failed him and he passed his hand significantly across his eyes. Not blind, Larry. Yet instantly recalling, as she spoke, many a little incident that confirmed her fears. Yes, blind courage. That's the way it happened tonight. It was all my fault. I couldn't rightly see. But, Larry, hardly anyone could see. It was getting so dark. Courage, darling, Larry said tenderly. It's been getting dark for me for a year. I shall never sail a boat again. 
they told me in the spring that i wasn't fit for it but then i found you had set your heart on being on the water with me and so with dick's eyes to help i thought i could manage just for the summer but it's all over now and it's plain enough that i've got to give in and so larry has done all this for her at first courage cannot speak but at last she contrives to say in a tearful trembling voice try not to mind larry if you only let me take care of you it won't matter at all whether we live on the water or not i can be happy anywhere with you and larry is in no small degree comforted how could it be otherwise with that loyal child heart standing up to him so bravely in his trial and finally he tells courage of a plan that has come into his mind to spend the remainder of the summer in the queerest little place that ever was heard of and he proceeds to describe the little place to her courage is delighted with the scheme and they talk quietly about it for ever so long till after a while right in the midst of a sentence courage drops asleep on larry's shoulder then rather than disturb her larry sits perfectly motionless and at last the noble gray head drooping lower and lower rests against the red-brown curls and larry is also asleep while across them both slants a band of marvellous light from the torch of the island statue end of chapter six